Welcome to Perimenopology, where we explore and converse about what it means to transition out of the young, hot, fertile, and fuckable box that our society labels as most worthy when you are socialized as a woman. Around here, we are all about body literacy and talking about the topics that society tells us are unimportant or inappropriate. I'm Michelle Kapler, reproductive acupuncturist, Chinese medicine practitioner, and master feminist confidence coach, and you've got episode number 13. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Perimenopology. Before I get into today's episode, I want to make a quick announcement. This episode is brought to you by my Perimenopause Body Image Confidence Starter Pack. If you've been loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to dive deeper into this work, this is a great way to get started. It's a little collection of tools that I've created that you can start applying today to help you feel more confident when it comes to your body as you navigate this transition. It's free and it's available right now. Just head to the show notes or to michellecapley.com forward slash starter to get instant access today. So today I'm going to share an interview with my coaching colleague, Candace Toon. She's a former marriage and family therapist who now coaches people on their relationships. I've been following Candace's work for a while now, and I was thrilled that she agreed to come on the show and let me interview her. Before we get started, I want to share her professional bio. Candace Toon is a former marriage and family therapist turned master certified life coach and the founder of the Defying Gravity Revolution. Her mission is to help women stop wondering if they married the wrong guy and start enjoying the marriage they imagined when they said, I do. She's a podcaster, author, connoisseur of grapefruit juice, and a jazzercise enthusiast. She lives in Utah with her husband, three children, and their dog. So without further ado, here is my interview with Candace. Hey, Candace! Thanks so much for being on the show with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So as you know, I already read your professional bio in the intro to the episode, but if you could tell us a little bit about you and the work that you're doing, that would be great. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you for giving me space. So I'm Candace Toon. I'm a for- former marriage and family therapist and I've turned master certified life coach now. I work with women to help them stop wondering if they've married the wrong guy. And then I also host a trauma certification for coaches. Amazing. Such important work. And I love that you say it in that way where you say, I help people wonder or stop wondering if they married the wrong person. And I think that's such a, a way that kind of stays in the back of our mind, but we don't always verbalize it. So it's so great that you're putting it out there that way. I think it probably helps a lot of people to think of it like that. Yeah, thanks. Okay. So today we're going to talk about body changes in the context of perimenopause. I think a lot of people who are socialized as women come up against this issue where their bodies are changing in a lot of ways that they have no control over. And sometimes this can affect the relationship for obvious reasons, and it can affect the relationship for reasons that surprise us. So we're here to talk all about how to navigate that today. So first of all, I just want to come from kind of a a basic overview. Um, Many folks that are socialized as women and people with female hormones are concerned about the changes in their bodies, again, for a lot of reasons. 
but especially how it'll affect their relationship with their spouse or their significant other. So some examples of that can be changes in body size and shape, changes in libido or desire for sexual activity, maybe even changes in sleep needs or dietary needs or general life preferences. All of that can happen with hormone fluctuations, especially at that time in life. So when you meet people that are going through body changes, what are some of the most common thoughts and feelings that you see coming up around body changes in the context of relationships? Yeah. So a lot of times when there are those changes happening, the main concern is like, I don't want to bug anyone. I don't want to be a problem. I don't want to cause a challenge. I don't. And so instead what they'll do is they'll tend to kind of try and pull inward and like um, pull themselves back from the support that might be available because they're like, they view receiving support as being a, a burden. And then they end up carrying that burden all on their own, which leads to resentment in the relationship because we want that support. We want that help. We also don't want to be a burden. So we think it should just be offered to us. And then like a whole crazy dynamic goes on from there. I think that's so interesting. And it actually really hits home for me. I think that many of us who are socialized as women have those thoughts about our partners, regardless of the context. And because, you know, we're socialized to not be too inconvenient or take up too much space or be too loud or too emotional. And sometimes in times like, a perimenopause or even pregnancy when our hormones are so intense that we can't help but thing have our emotions basically come out of our eyeballs and we have no control over it it can feel really intense to you know have that come up so tell us more about that shame how does that tend to play out in the way that we talk to our partners in the way that we relate to them talk more about that I think the shame is often really unconscious. So we don't necessarily on purpose talk to our partners in any particular way, but how it tends to show up is we will like hint at something or kind of hope for something to like some support or some um, like assistance will kind of hint or hope and then be mad when it doesn't happen, which makes sense, right? Because if you were hoping to get something or you want something or you think you have a need and you're looking to your partner to fulfill it and they don't, I mean, upsetness makes sense, right? So that's the first thing is we don't even know that we don't want to directly ask, like we're not even aware of that. And so we ask in an indirect way and then it doesn't meet our needs, which makes us upset. And then we get upset with ourselves for being upset because like, I'm too emotional, I'm overreacting, I'm too sensitive, like that whole thing happens, which isn't even really the case. What actually happens is we have a real actual need, a real actual desire for support or connection or something. And then because we don't believe we don't want to be a burden, then we don't ask for it. And then we get mad at ourselves for not asking it. So the cycle just kind of continues when the place we want to look at it to change it is maybe it's okay if I have some needs. Maybe it's okay if I'm what I might call inconvenient. If we start at the beginning of the cycle instead of the end, oh, I shouldn't have felt that way. I'm so sensitive. I'm overreacting. Then the cycle gets to change. But if we just keep yelling at ourselves for feeling the way that we should feel as humans, then that it tends to perpetuate. That makes so much sense. And there's this other thing that I sometimes see, and it plays into this, but maybe you can comment on that as well. But I also see this kind of, I guess, um, other version of this dynamic where, you know, somebody will come into clinic and they'll say something like, well, I needed some space or I needed more touch or I needed to, I needed my husband to go and sleep in a different room or whatever it was. And I will say, well, did you ask the person for that? And they'll, they'll say, well, they should have just known that I needed that. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So we either ask indirectly or we just assume that they should know what we need because we've been together for however long we've been together. So they should have picked up on the cues, which I'm the first to say it would be nice if they would. Of course, right? Like that would be easier. So it makes sense that your brain offers that to you. And it's kind of unrealistic. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't want it. It just means like, okay, if I want this, maybe I can help my partner along instead of assume that they're just ignoring these super obvious cues because the cues aren't really as obvious as we might think they are. Yeah, 100%. Another thing that I often see people bringing to the table is that they are almost imagining that their partner is thinking certain things about the situation. So, I mean, there's this, there's the part where they have certain thoughts and feelings about what's going on. And then they're also worried about what their partner is thinking. So if somebody is thinking that maybe their partner is bothered by some of the changes or the differences in needs or just the differences in general, what do you recommend that they do in that case? Now, I understand that this is like, could sound challenging. So hang with me if it does, listeners. <laughs> I think <laughs> what's really useful to say is to just speak it aloud. Hey, partner, person that I love and care about in the world, I am concerned that possibly you might be bugged by this. And I understand it because I'm actually a little bit bugged by it too. It's something that I wouldn't have picked either. So if you are, like, let's talk about how we can resource both of ourselves in this. It's okay if you're bugged. I'm a little bit bugged too. But to say something like that requires that the speaker believes it's okay if I have some weirdness going on in my body. It's okay if this is not my favorite thing. It's okay if it's not their favorite thing. I'm still awesome and whole and perfect as I am. And we have this weird challenge that we're dealing with. And I believe in our connection that we could deal with it together. So I understand if that's a tall order, but I think that might be a place to shoot shoot for. And as we work up to it, the first thing is like, I'm actually kind of bugged by it in my own brain. So it makes sense if they're bugged by it, just to tell yourself the truth about all of that. And then if you can share it with them, then all the better. I love that. And so what if the partner comes to the table and they're like, yeah, I'm really bugged by it. I don't think that that's going to work for me. And I think that you should just be different. What do you suggest in those cases? I think that honestly, like to make it a little bit light, if we can, is the best way to go. Be like, I also wish that were different partner. I don't like that this is happening to me either. I also don't have control over it the way it seems like you think I might. Right. So here's what I've done already. I've gone and seen my specialist. I've gone and here's the supports that I've found medically that are available or emotionally through coaching or whatever supports I've found. And this is just kind of like, like um, we both live in snowy areas. This is just kind of like the snowfalls outside. Nobody wants to shovel the snow and it's here. So I get that you don't want it to be here. And I actually don't really either. But to expect me to stop the snow from falling is kind of unrealistic, my love. So what can we do instead? Which again, sounds like a tall order. I know if you're listening and they're like, oh, I can never say that to my partner. Just be like, okay, let's just try on the idea that maybe one day you could say it to them. And now can you say it to you? Can you say it to yourself enough to resource yourself that if they don't understand right away, it's okay. That's so useful. Thank you for that. So I want to go into a bit of a specific example. Of course, there are many changes in the body that can happen uh, during this time, but one that people commonly come up against when it comes to their relationship with their partner is 
their intimate life, their sex life. And that can be caused by a lot of different things. It can just be a lack of desire or an extra amount of desire, or it could be a physical issue as well. So some people have less vaginal lubrication, some people have less vaginal elasticity. So it makes certain sex acts that were possible for them in the past, maybe not possible for them at this time. So what if people are feeling a little bit guilty because they can't have a sexual relationship with their partner in the same way that they used to, or maybe they're just wanting a break from touch. Is it possible to not feel guilty? Tell us a little bit about that. So is it possible to not feel guilty? I mean, yes, it is possible. But I think another question to ask yourself is like, is it desirable to not feel guilty? Like maybe it's okay to feel guilty. It could be true that guilt is part of the human experience, especially when we're thinking things like I should interact with them sexually the way that I always have. It would be better if I did. If you believe that that's 100% true, it's okay if you believe that. And it might come with a little bit of guilt. And I like to consider like, what if we compared it to something else? Like, I wish I could go to all my kids' soccer games, but sometimes I can't. Sometimes I have to go to the sister's ballet recital or the sister's swim meet or whatever. And I can't be in two places at once. Like, what if it's possible to compare doing something sexually to like, meeting all the needs of all the different people in your life. Sometimes you actually just can't. And can you sit with the guilt of that and love yourself through it? Can you describe to yourself, this is what it's like to feel guilty. It makes sense that I feel guilty because I'm holding myself to some standard that is not possible for me right now. So then we don't have to feel bad about feeling guilty. We can just feel guilty, which removes one layer of the emotion. So that's the first option. And then the second option is to be like, what if I can just open my view of Yes, they want that to happen. Yes, I might even want that same thing to happen the way it did before. It can't for whatever reason, vaginal elasticity, vaginal lubrication, whatever it is. And it can't right now. So I can tell myself that I should, even though I'm not physically able, or I can tell myself, hey, we get to try out some new thing that we've never done before. Or, hey, we just are taking a break from it right now. And if we can make all of that okay, that's probably where I would go. Is Because the more options you can give yourself... It's like, I have to feel guilty or not guilty. Like if we can give ourselves lots of options of how to feel, that's when we have the most choice and the most freedom and flexibility. So that's what I would suggest. It's like, I could feel guilty. I know how. I could not feel guilty. I could say, screw you, partner. I don't really even care what you think. That's an option too. And there's lots of things in between. And when we really get creative about the things in between, that's when we have the most freedom. I love that idea of approaching it with curiosity and creativity because it takes us away from that black and white thinking. You're either on or you're off. You're either open or you're not. You're either interested or you're not. It, it's that it's that idea of, well, maybe I'm not interested in this, but there's this whole other spectrum of interesting things that we could do to connect instead. And that might be just as awesome or even more awesome. And we can love all the new things and still feel bad about the old one. It's fine. Like there's room for all of it in our relationship and we don't have to pretend we feel other than we do. I love that. And that idea of different perspectives that are seemingly opposite can actually exist simultaneously in our brains. Isn't that just amazing that that can happen? Yes. And it they are already existing simultaneously. We're just thinking that they shouldn't. And so when we're like, oh, maybe it's fine if I have multiple feelings about the same scenario, that's when we can all breathe I love that. Now, something that you can kind of layer on top of that and does get layered on top of that in 
many situations is just body image stuff. So yes, the actual hormones and the desire for the vaginal lubrication, the physical response can be doing one thing, but then there's also this other layer that can get put on top of this body image thing. Something that's really common in perimenopause is weight gain, especially around the middle. And I find that a lot of people, again, especially people socialized as women, feel really insecure and have a lot of thoughts about when that starts to happen. So what about that part where they're worried about what their partner thinks, they're worried about what they think, they're like, well, should I just give up and accept my body or should I keep trying to change it? Do you have any advice for that layer of things? Yeah. And I love that um, we're kind of having a theme going on here because the question asks, should I just give up or should I just like keep trying to change things? And what if there's lots of options in the middle of those, right? So the very first step I would say is like, it makes sense that you're wondering about that. If you're socialized as a woman, there's like a billion products and exercises and ads and whatever that are supposed to like help you shrink your belly, right? Like that's available in the world all of the time, even when you're just walking through the grocery store. So having worry about that, it it makes sense that you might. If you don't, awesome, good for you. And if you do, also okay, because that's offered to you a lot of different um, a lot of different ways. So we can just be like, oh, of course, this is here. This is something that um, Western culture especially seems to value. So it makes sense that it would be on my radar. Now I can choose of the many options of like, let me keep trying to change this or let me just ignore it completely. I can choose either of those options or I can choose lots of things in the middle. Kind of the same as the last question is like when we show ourselves all the options that are available and don't make it a bad thing that we're even wondering about our bellies then that's when you have the freedom to kind of flexibly move between what you want to do for you and your life and your relationship. I love that. I love that thought of, oh, of course this is here. Because it means that we don't have to make ourselves wrong for having these thoughts. And we can recognize that they're coming from this place or this value system that we don't necessarily agree with. We can acknowledge that maybe we wouldn't, if we were thinking about it consciously, that we wouldn't think that about ourselves, but we can simultaneously acknowledge that yeah it's being thrown at us from every which way and we don't have to make ourselves wrong again for having that feeling so that's really great advice and it leads to this place of curiosity of oh of course this is here and what do we want to do next and i would also offer like if you do want to do some work to change the shape of your belly and you want to try that that's okay too doesn't make you like a bad feminist or like a disavowal of your own body the way that it is like you can change it if you want to you don't have to if you don't want to and you can like meet in the middle at lots of different points along the way i love that because i think sometimes we also are like well if i'm dieting then that means that i'm not loving myself and i just don't think that has to be true if i'm like waking up to do early morning exercises i don't love me and i don't value my own self-care that doesn't have to be true the act of dieting the act of doing sit-ups or not really just depends on how does it feel to you as you're doing it. And if you didn't do it, what would you make that mean? And if it means nothing, whether you do it or don't, then have at it if you want to and don't if you don't. Like the choice is the really the part that we want to champion here. I love that. And what about talking or communicating with your partner about that? Um, do you think it is a good thing for people to talk to their partners about their body image stuff? Or is it better to just work on? And I know this, again, it's a black and white question. And we're exploring the theme of <laughs> there are many options along the spectrum. Totally, always. But it's still a good question to consider. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah. So I think it really just depends on how it feels to you and you do. Right. So what are your expectations of the conversation? If your expectations are for your partner to carry the emotional management, that maybe not is the best reason because all of us have difficulty managing our own emotions. And so to add onto someone else, Hey, can you take my emotions as well as yours? Almost never works out very well. Sometimes it does, but you want to just check, am I wanting my partner to take care of everything that I'm feeling so that I don't have to feel it? If that's the case, let's just tell yourself the truth about it. And then if it doesn't work out, be like, Oh yeah, of course that didn't work out great. But mostly it just depends on like, what do you want to get out of the conversation? If you just want to share and like have some closeness and just tell the truth out loud, I think that's always a useful thing to do. But if we're trying to escape it or change it or something like that, maybe that's not as useful of of an approach to take. I love that. So good. So if there's somebody who's just finding us and just hearing about examining our own minds and doing thought work and choosing our thoughts intentionally, if somebody is maybe feeling a little bit overwhelmed, what would be maybe a good place to start kind of doing this work? Yeah, I think it's always useful to, some people call it black journaling, some people call it thought downloading, some people just speak out loud. Like, what am I thinking right now? What is the story? Like if there was a story that I was telling about this interaction, like either in the bedroom or when we're sharing emotionally or something like that, if I was going to tell the story, what would it sound like? No editing. This is like the first draft version. What? How would it sound? And then you want to like, either if you're speaking out loud, it might be useful to record it and then read it back or listen back to it and just notice, oh, I didn't even know that that was something that was in my head. It's fine that it's in my head. There's nothing wrong with me for having it in my head. But it makes sense that if I'm thinking that, of course, it doesn't feel amazing. Or of course, that one does feel amazing. So we can kind of just get used to knowing what's going on in our heads instead of just like believing it all. We just hear it out loud. We just review it and then kind of just try on how it feels just with a total curiosity, not with a, I have to change any of this or move any of this. It's just, this is what's here. Kind of like we inventory our groceries before gro- grocery shopping, something like that. I love this. I've um, I've interviewed other people who were originally therapists and have become coaches on this podcast and my other podcast as well. And you guys always have the best analogies to <laughs> describe things. The grocery list. I had uh, Emily Ginn on my other podcast. She was talking about condiments. So adding layers of ketchup and mustard on top of our thoughts. You guys just have the best ways of explaining things to people in, in very useful language that they can understand. So happy to do it. Thank you. All right. So I don't want to take up too much of your valuable time, but is there anything that you want to leave the audience with um, before we say goodbye? Yeah. So I coach on marriage in my regular practice. And what I always say is the best way to connect with your partner is to really establish a strong connection with yourself first. And so as often as you can, Figure out the way that it makes sense that you're feeling the way that you do. It makes sense that you've chosen the thought that you have. Doesn't mean just the phrase, it makes sense, doesn't mean I'm going to keep it forever, but it just means, oh, it makes sense that this is how it's playing out right now. And when it makes sense, it's easier to decide if you want to keep it or shift it. But when you come at it from like, this is terrible, I need to like think something else, or I need to feel something else, or I need to respond a different way, that just makes everything so much harder. And so, when you can be connected with yourself in the moment as you are, 
even if you want to change it eventually, just be like, oh, it makes sense that it's like this right now. That's going to make it so much easier to connect not only with your partner, but with every other relationship you have because you're so solid with yourself first. So that's always my suggestion is just if you find yourself disavowing yourself, just know that that's probably going to make it harder to connect with anyone else. That's amazing. And what a beautiful note to leave everything on. I know that people are going to love what you have to say and will want to come and find you and follow you. So tell everybody where they can connect with you. So my main website is just CandiceTune.com, Candice with an I, Tune with an E. And then Instagram and Facebook are the same, at Candice Tune Coaching. You can come check me out. There is a free course on my website that just tells you how to have the marriage you imagined when you said I do, just a four little module. So you're welcome to opt in to that if you like and get a head start with that. Amazing. And I know that people would have loved your podcast voice. So tell us about your podcast as well. Oh, yes. So the podcast is called Enjoy Your Marriage. And you can just um, head over there. And we just talk about actual real examples that um, can help you apply to your own self and your own relationship just through story and through analogy. Because that's, like Michelle said, one of my favorite things. (laughs) I listen to her podcast myself. So I would highly recommend going and listening along. I've learned a lot. And uh, I'll make sure that I put all of that in the show notes so people can find it easily. Thank you so much, Michelle. Candice, I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your wisdom and all of your info and expertise with us. And I'll look forward to having you back again sometime. Yeah, thank you. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me for my conversation with Candice. If you loved this conversation, please find and follow and work with Candice using all of her contact info in the show notes. I'll be back next week with another episode. If you are loving what you're learning in the podcast and you want to take this work to a deeper level, let's work together. If you are a resident of Ontario, Canada, we can work together in a clinical setting, both virtually or in person. Or if you want help managing your mind around the perimenopausal transition and supercharging your confidence and body image, I can help you anywhere in the world through coaching. To learn more about your options for working with me, head to michellecapler.com and click on work with me on the overhead menu. I can't wait to talk with you. Thank you.